Hi, I'm Laura Allen. And I'm Liv Austin. And you're listening to My Amazing Mess. A weekly podcast where we talk to creatives who are right in the middle of developing their unique careers. They are totally honest with us about what it takes to pursue their dream job. The exciting highs, the disheartening lows, and the amazing mess that is everything in between. Knew it would nail that. Laura Allen. Is this the way we're going to start everyone now? (laughs) Liv Austin. (laughs) Oh, man. This is a really good one. Uh, This episode, we're talking to Jessica Sharman, who's a songwriter, professional songwriter. How cool is that? Amazing. I mean, you'll hear in this this episode, I learned so much about what it what goes into writing a song you know I just put the radio on listen to to what the next tune is and either connect with the lyrics to it of it or you know just sing along to the melody but I actually like you know really enjoyed learning about what what goes into songwriting and how you make some sort of career and living out of it yeah I think it's interesting how early Jess knew that she wanted to be a writer rather than a performer and that her performance when she did that was just kind of a tool to get her songs out so mm-hmm. it's clearly something that she was meant to to be doing and she's got some good stories as well from... she's got some great stories yeah mm-hmm. and and I think it's um it's nice because so far on the on this series our first series we're interviewing lots of people that we have we know quite well um people that we've trained with together but also uh Jess is somebody that I only know sort of have met her a handful of times through you so it's been quite nice to kind of get to know what what she does and what her life has been so far in the in the songwriting world when we write that's kind of the focus of the day so we don't really sit and talk about you know her career so I learned a lot from her and I think her very professional approach and how she um the drive that she has you know when she talks about you know kind of knowing her worth and knowing what she needed uh she's very savvy very very clever woman and uh, that comes out in her writing that she's very intelligent if you're looking for some sort of inspiration to go get what you want this is going to be a great episode definitely so this is Jess Sharman so we are talking to Jessica Sharman today who is a songwriter. Uh, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's really nice because I've met you a couple of times before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not not in a writing capacity, just <laughs> social outings. But yeah, it's really nice to get to find out more about you. It's nice for me to have like two of my favourite people in the same I room know. just well, chatting. We, we said series one is going to be people that we know. You kind of have worked together because you have been ooing on two of the songs on my <gasps> album that Jess wrote with me. Exciting. Train of like Thought and The Next Separation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your ooze. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the ooze. Both of you. Exactly. We're very good at that. We love a whoop. Yeah. If we could get a whoop in the song, we will do that. I never thought that I'd be the kind of person, but when they when they work, you know, when they kind of make sense, yeah. you've got to get them in. When I when I saw you um play, was it where was that your gig under the bridge? There was a Maybe. Gig. And I was the first time I saw a whole load of people come down and start ooing the ooze and I was like, it works, people, the ooze yeah. works. <laughs> <laughs> They're an easy hook. Yeah, I, I remember that night because that was like one of the first nights where I didn't have to teach people the oo. They just did it. And I was like, that's when you've made it. That's when, when they you just know. The Jess, <laughs> Jess, did you come up with the ooze? Was it, you? I, it was total collaboration. We were just ooing away. <laughs> just ooing and it just yeah I have this memory of you kind of like we'd done like I'm doing like guitar movements here now for people who can't see me um we'd done the pre-chorus I think on the next time and you were like 
sing sing the first thing that comes to mind or something and, and like, I started like ooing and I don't think I sort of intended it to be a whoop like a yelp but it kind of worked as that so you were like yeah we're keeping that <laughs> yeah, that's in I think it was just trying to find like where do you go after a pre like where's the chorus where do you want to go to and it's like just all inhibitions lost just ooh whatever just happens sing out yeah and it was like oh this is so hooky Yes, exactly. And then that was like the breakthrough, breakthrough, break free moment. Yeah, and just lose all inhibition and ooh. Little did we know that that was going to be the signature <laughs> of the song, <laughs> which is so hilarious because we, you know, work quite hard on the lyrics as well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're saying a lot in the song, <laughs> and people are like, "Oh, I love that." Ooh. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, "Yeah, I know," but we came up with some really cool, what like the meaning is yes. gone. Like, read like, the some lyrics, really stuff there. Like, <laughs> so, um. For people who don't know what you do, and for me who only knows you as Liv's friend and co-writer, how did you get into songwriting and producing and all the things that you do regarding music? Um, so it's quite a long journey. Uh, we like long journeys. We like a long journey. Yeah, we'll be here for a while. We've got lots of tea, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, songwriting as sort of a profession, I guess, came about seven years ago after I did a sort of professional diploma in songwriting at a music school in North London. But I'd been writing songs probably since I was about 10 or 11. I played the piano from when I was five and I just loved that. And I loved kind of listening to music and there was always music on in the house. And then I got really into kind of creative writing and poetry at school. And I was just really lucky to have amazing music teachers who were sort of allowing me and within sort of, I guess, like a classical training to explore pop songs and explore like how you can write music. And if you put these chords together, it works and sort of introducing the idea of like why you have scales and like the idea of theory, which is normally really dull. But actually going, well, you, the sixth degree of the scale is the relative minor. And that's why it all sounds really nice. And you're like, ah, Bach's a genius. <laughs> um, and sort of using that. And then I kind of had these ideas with um, some of the lyrics that I was, or poems that I was writing, was thinking, oh, could I put them to something? Not really ever thinking of it as, you know, songwriting per se, but just kind of I've created something. Um, the moment when I thought this is something that I really want to do, I actually originally wanted to kind of be a performer. Um, and it was when I heard a song on the radio, I was probably about 14, um, and it just described my day at school, like verbatim. And I was like, oh my God, who's this person who's got into my head? Um, and it was Amy Stutt, and then the song was called Misfit, and it was just every kind of thing that had happened that day at school. And I thought, this is so cool, because this, I don't feel alone, like other people are going through this. And I thought, that's the coolest job in the world, to make people feel excited that there's you know or not excited but feel like that they're not the only one and that the moments that you feel so alone or so isolated actually everybody else is going through them and I thought that's something that I want to do for a living um and then yeah I just kind of I played a lot I really sort of worked I got an amazing guitar teacher called Nicholas Meyer who um kind of taught me really structure um, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, middle eight, chorus, sort of, you know, that kind of basic thing. Um, I won a competition when I was 16. I was I did a lot of dancing when I was younger and there was one 
I was at Pineapple Dance Studios. God, this is a blast from the past. I'm just remembering this now. Um, and I was going to dance class and there were all these people lined up for like an audition. And I said, oh, you know, what's going on? Little nosy Parker that I was like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> they said, oh, well, there's some record producer in here and they, you know, they're recording songs. And I was like, oh, well, I actually have some songs. I'm, you know, people were doing covers and... I went in and I was so unprepared, like the arrogance that I just kind of went in at sort of 15, just being like, hiya, how's it going? I'm Jessica. And they were like, and what have you prepared? I was like, oh, absolutely nothing. I was waiting to do a dance class, but I just thought I'd come along and played my song, which was, oh God. Um, it was called Walk to Remember, inspired by the film. Oh, with Shane God, and Mandy Moore Because that film was just like all of my lives in one um and I played this song and they said oh thank you for playing an original everyone's kind of done covers like you know please give like your home telephone number um and we'll be in touch to like let you know and they rung everybody and said like the you know announcement would be at this club in London and you know I went I think I went along my mum dropped me off in Leicester Square and I went along and I won and it was just like sorry what <laughs> and I was like what if I even won I was just standing there oh my because I didn't know what it, I didn't bring anyone I didn't I just kind of was there just being like I just turned up to this dance class and it was a day with this record producer and I went along and I played the song he was like you know we'll cut one of your songs and thing and it was this really exciting moment and I went there and I played through all the songs and you know he'd been so effusive at the audition and on the night of like how great it all was and I got there and he was like this is terrible this is awful this is terrible. And I was going through all my songs, just being like, I had my little songbook and I'd written them out all neatly and I had all my chords on, you know, like all this stuff. He's like, this is awful. And then I had the idea of the song that I hadn't really kind of pulled. It was just sort of a, a kind of a brain vomit thing. And I sort of started playing that and he's like, listen, this is that most, like this is the most half decent thing you've pulled out today. So I guess we'll just go with that. And it broke me, like absolutely broke me. And I remember going home just thinking, I thought this was like the start of something really special and he just broke my confidence and of course my mum and dad were there when I got home you know like how was it and I just like burst into tears and was like he totally taught me apart and I had my songbook and I was like I might as well just burn this like this is just totally useless like everything I'd done and at sort of 15 it's quite it's quite a a tough age anyway just kind of being a teenager and then sort of having this dream, thinking, oh, okay, you know, give it a go, work hard, get an audition, win. And then just to have someone just totally cut you down. It was like, what What was the point in that? And my best friend, Omar, he rung me that day and was like, how did it all go? And I was like, I'm literally sitting here with a lighter in front of my songbook. I think I'm going to. And he was like, why would you do that? Why would you let one person who's got some self-inflated ego try and tell you what you can or can't do with your music? He's like, it's all about taste. So he, he pulled me back from the ledge. He took the lighter <laughs> out. <laughs> you always need that one person to. Yeah. And it, it, it wasn't even that he said anything. He was just like, why let one person when there could be 50 million people who love it? I mean, 50 million is quite a stretch. <laughs> but it, it was it was both a wonderful thing and a terrible thing at the same time. Because I guess it what it did do was it really pulled me back from kind of just assuming that I was going to get somewhere just because... I wanted to and you sort of had to realize you had to work and you had there were gonna be moments of greatness and moments of terrible so I think it I think it was important to happen quite early but what it did also do was he kind of made me feel very nervous in like a vocal booth setting so when I, I you know wanted to be a performer but he was quite damning on sort of how I was singing it was like 
need to sing this better. This isn't right. Your tone isn't there. You haven't got this right. And it, it really panicked me. And I think what it did do was knock my confidence to be a performer. But ultimately, that kind of then led me to want to write for other people, which I think in the end was totally the right decision because you come up with people like you and I could never sing our songs the way you sing them and you give them a whole new life and meaning that would just sound like you know drowning cats when I sing them <laughs> I mean we have voice memos to prove <laughs> I I'm not sure if I'm going to agree with that because I think you're a wonderful singer well you're very kind but I I think you you see I I can I can pass a melody across but then you see people who really perform and you go god you were meant for the stage and you were meant to really be that person who could take a song to a new level. And that I would sort of just be being quite selfish if I was like, no, 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 I'm just going to hold on to the songs and sing them because they're mine. And I thought, you know, kind of push that forward. But um, yes, yeah, so that was about 16. And then it kind of, I wanted to go to performing arts school and that kind of shook me and it kind of shook my parents who were sort of like, okay, well, you know, you need to have something just in the underneath you, just like a foundation to be interested in and keep you interesting like get ideas and so I went to university and I did a degree in history of art but because I loved it and I found it so interesting and it actually helps so much lyrically I'm really big believer in that because the main premise of history of art is you have to show someone an emotion a feeling a moment in time uh, a conversation in a picture and when you can't explain why you wrote the song to someone going well actually we were feeling this and then this was what happened you you have three minutes essentially to describe someone a feeling and you show the listener you don't tell them so you know again history of art was was very important to that but I gigged loads during uni every open mic night I kind of did it but always now under the premise of I know I'm not going to be the performer I kind of always knew that wasn't the most important thing and then as I started really kind of letting that go I worked harder on the songs because I realized I wasn't like the greatest performer. So I, I, the songs had to be great because I wasn't. And, you know, again, sort of like uni kind of competitions and like, you know, for songwriting and or not songwriting because it wasn't really a thing then. I didn't actually ever really know until I did the professional diploma after uni that I like that there was such a thing as a songwriter. But I just knew that I wanted other people to sing what I had written. But there, it wasn't you know, I didn't go to school and was in music class and someone goes, well, actually, if you don't want to be the singer, you could be the songwriter. There's um, a really great collective that I've been a part of called She Writes. And it's with a girl called Violet Skies and Charlie McLean. And I was talking to Violet about it. We, You know, they're trying to kind of get the idea of more women being involved in music from an early age. So if young girls go to school and, you know, they're working on music, it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, you're the girl, so you have to be the singer. Which I think is actually a, a stereotype that is unconsciously just there. It was like if I wanted to do music or write music or, you know, be a part of it, it was like I, I would be the singer and the guy would play guitar or be the drummer or be the producer. You know, it wasn't ever sort of a space. So, yeah, then so we went to uni, did lots of gigs there and kind of really... I, I get so nervous as well. I don't know how you do it, Liv. Like, I, I stand on stage and just, like, the sweat. <laughs> the sweaty palms. Well, in all honesty, I feel the same because as an actor, the only way I can do it is by being someone else. I don't understand how people get up and sing their own songs and, and bear their heart on stage. It's astonishing. I think I'd find it really difficult if I wasn't involved in the writing. Mm. If I didn't have something that I was saying with it, if I was just like... 
guys, listen to me sing. That would just terrify, terrify right. me, which is why, you know, I don't like doing covers. Mm. I don't like doing karaoke, even though you're not really meant to be good at karaoke. Hate but karaoke. do you know what I mean? Like, if it's <laughs> just about, karaoke. like, listen to me how I sing this song, you know, that would be so weird. So I think just knowing what, what you're trying to say to people and it's actually about them and how they experience it rather than how my voice sounds because mm. that would if I start thinking about that it's oh my god yeah you just get into a whole <laughs> world of like panic yeah yeah exactly. um and then after so sort of did uni and then kind of worked uh being an art history tutor um in Italy sort of taught art history on site up and down the country and again like took a ukulele with me was it was just always there it was sort of almost like this my user philip pullman's like the northern lights trilogy like it was like my daemon it just kind of came with me it was just always there i just hadn't quite clocked at that moment and it was when i went traveling i did like a gap year after uni and again bought guitars in like the back end of beyond and like really crappy things and just it didn't matter if it got beaten up and then actually I got really attached to one of them and like brought it back and it is I still have it but and it's the most beautiful guitar in the sense that it just will never be in tune but it was what I sort of took round you know yeah, it's got a lot of stories nine countries it. and 51 cities or whatever um but you, you meet random people traveling and everyone likes a good sing song. You're around a fire, you know, you're kind of connecting with people. And uh, some of the girls I was traveling with were like, oh, I'll play one of your songs. And I played and someone just burst into tears and was like, that literally described my life. Like that was my last relationship. How have you done that? And I thought, oh, that's cool. And they were like, oh my God, do you have like a recording? Can I buy that? And I was like, no. And it started just kind of, again, like this sort of gestation period of being like, maybe this is something, maybe. And it was just the, the more we, the more places we went, people were going, oh, that's, you know, really like that. Well, how do I get that? And so I started putting some stuff down on GarageBand and, you know, putting it up on SoundCloud. This was back in like 2009, eight or nine. Um, and just had people like, listen to it like it kind of come to gigs but again I never really felt comfortable about being the performer and I thought you know maybe this is something maybe maybe I should like look at really honing my craft and my mum uh was a very big influence on like my musical upbringing and you know it was is really into Leonard Cohen and was always like think about lyrics think about things and she was saying you know maybe Maybe there's something that you could do. Maybe there's like a, a course or, you know, where you could really learn to craft because it would only happen if I was like heartbroken, angry or like happy with time. I think it's like when you, when you feel happy, you're not necessarily like, I'm going to write a song about this. But when you're happy and you actually have time, you're like, oh, I can actually put this into a song. Um, but it would always be when the muse would appear. And so I just looked up some courses and found this one at the, um, they've called it something different now. I think it's called the Institute, but it was called ICMP. And they did a year's course or like nine months in professional songwriting. And I thought, okay, I'll go, you know, try. You have to audition. And I auditioned. And this was like seven years ago, I think. And the year before me had been uh, Daughter, Eleanor from Daughter. So they had like a pretty cool roster. And um, the guy from Bear's Den, uh, Andrew Davies like went there and things so they had like some really cool people I was like oh I really like their songs and and it was the most intense year like full on you had to write three songs a week uh, you had to write different genre every week and what it did was it basically taught me how to knock the door down to find the muse and not wait for them and be like hey muse I need to write a song today like wake up 
And that was an incredible discipline because it really taught you how to be creative without just waiting for it and without it being this kind of like ephemeral thing. It was like, no, you can be creative and you can be creative on your own time. It might take a bit longer or be something that you can get an idea and you might get stuck, but you can come back to it. But it was this moment that you thought, okay, no, I can't I can't just sit and wait and I can't just basically be broken apart every did time you, I want to write a song. Did you kind of, with writing so much so often, did you get to a point where there were some things that you thought, well, I don't like what I've just written or was it, did you kind of get used to that not everything has to be absolutely perfect because, you know, my idea of trying to write a song, I would probably sit for months and months on one song and try to make that one song perfect. How did that, how did you find that process? It was, well, the thing that it was really good was every time you wrote, you improved upon something you kind of didn't have time to think you just had to guess you had to get three songs a week out so you just had to get something down because you had to present to the class and we had this uh you know like a lecture on like history of songwriting um along with like music business which was really interesting and very like key to to understanding like going into it like what's prs what's ppl what are your legal copyright things but in the history of songwriting john lennon paul mccartney various other incredible you know musicians would say to get one really good song you had to write 10 really crap ones so I think it was just continually writing meant that you just got your ideas out you got your flow out you never really had chance to sit and critique it because one week you're doing funk one week you're doing rap one week you're doing country one week you're doing pop and that it, it was good that you were always writing, but what it did was it opened me up to all these different genres. Like one week was like rock and like like heavy metal. It's not a genre I'm like super familiar in. But when you listen to it and you think about what they're doing and you, you, you kind of unpick it all, you're like, this is genius and this is great. Same with rap. I mean, I got into a bit of a moment, you know, our teacher was sort of saying like, get, or I don't really like calling them teachers. They were more like mentors. And they were saying, get into that rap spirit. So obviously watch 8 Mile. Um, got like a hoodie. <laughs> just channel your inner m M&M. just, just, just got, Just got my m M&M out. I got a hoodie, got like a like a marker pen. Because that was how he, you know, said he wrote. Got sheets of paper. Didn't have my lovely, sweet, little, nice, you know, pretty songwriting book. And just kind of scrawled. And, and you, try, you, you have to try and get under the skin of the genre and not really judge it on whether it's your personal taste. But what is the song doing? What's it doing for somebody else? And what are the positives within it? And then how can you draw on those? But it, it was it was just a great way to always know that I could write a song a day because you have tools to do it. Did you find that there were genres that you kind of had to, to write in that you kind of went, oh, I actually really enjoy this i didn't think that i mean rap i'm my my next goal is is to be a rapper oh my god Um, i'd love to hear a rap written by you it'd be really good though because you know you're a great lyricist well yeah but i'm not sure people would buy my my rapping style i really enjoyed that that was one of the things that i really liked and like really understood hip-hop from a different perspective listening to kind of old school hip-hop like and and how it's developed and the sort of musicality of it and, and where certain things uh, emphasized and, and why the the hooks and the bass lines and that is also important. It was, that was really fascinating for me. It's, it's also where I kind of learned to really graft a country song because I'd loved, I loved country music. My sister did a year abroad in Canada and would send me all of these kind of new music things 
well, not new music because that sounds like Spotify, but you know, would send me CDs, mixed CDs of all the new music coming out in Canada. She'd burn stuff. And American music had a huge influence on me, but a lot of that was Dixie Chicks and and kind of all all those country things. So I, I guess I had a it I had it in my system, but to actually go, okay, you need three chords and the truth, that's you know, that's the basis for a country song. Go listen to it, go write it. That was really interesting and wasn't something I'd ever but again, because the UK didn't really have that. It wasn't like a genre that was available, you know, in the top 40 or in in the charts. Um, so, yeah, r- rap and country. <laughs> <laughs> so so from the um, the time that you were just getting out of that nine months, was it nine months, of course, mm-hmm. was it was country the thing that you thought, right, I'm now going to step or was it something that you kind of found as you as you left? I think I felt confident having understood what country music really was and what the the meaning behind it was and the idea of stories. And I loved that. I loved, I really kind of felt I gravitated toward that genre because I liked the idea of telling stories. And Taylor Swift, the Speak Now record was kind of coming out when I was there. So we, I was also, you, you're taught how to do production. So that's where I learned kind of how to produce. And one of the things in the production lessons was like, listen to a production you love and analyze it. Where do the drums kick in? What's that cool instrument that comes in at 22 seconds? Where do they pan the vocals? And one of the Taylor Swift one was Enchanted. And I just thought that production and that song was so cool. But it was never really like, I'm gonna go out and be a songwriter and write country music. It was, I've got a load of tools to kind of write songs. What I did mostly when I came out of music school was top lines. So I'd just email everyone in sundry and just be like, hi, I'm a songwriter. I do top lines. Do you have any tracks? So it was a lot of it was like dance music. What and... is a top line for those who are listening that don't know, like me? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm learning so much. <laughs> this is why it's great to have Laura here to be like, I don't. Oh, yeah. Me, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, top line is where you write the, sometimes you have a top liner who just does lyrics. We have a top liner who just does melody or they, a top liner can do lyrics and melody. But what they will do is they will go, get get sent a backing track. So a producer will create like an instrumental, send it over, and then the top liner will add melody and lyrics to it. So for a really easy example is David Guetta had the instrumental of Titanium and sent it to Sia and she wrote the lyrics and the melody on top. So yeah, I was doing a lot of that and going into studios and just knocking on doors being like the most, the squeakiest wheel. Um, because it's it's you kind of have to have it it's like a mixture of no shame but like understanding that you really don't want to piss people off because it's a really small industry <laughs> so you don't but you need to kind of also be politely no shaming no not no shaming but politely um just ballsy and just knock on doors and be yeah like, you, um, i mean you yeah. have to put yourself out there to begin yeah. with because you have to you know tell people who you are don't you exactly <laughs> and, and, otherwise... and, and no one will hear it yeah. and um something that happened really early on was I was working with a great producer there was a super um production house in Acton called Stanley House Stanley House Productions it was um Hugh Padgham's kind of old studio he he did a lot of the sting stuff um and I was writing with a producer in there and we had the song and there was a great singer um who is yeah now doing his own artist project called Elsha and he was this just this energy he was super positive but he had this incredible voice and they said oh we're doing um pitches there's a couple of like pop acts that are coming out and we're doing pitches for them and one of them was for jls 
And so we wrote this song and it was like proper JLS, like really fitted in. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It sounded just like it. You know, I was playing it to all my friends and like my fans. They were like, oh my God, could totally hear this being cut. And like sent it off to the A&R guy. And I was like, oh, I've basically got a cut on the JLS record. Like that's what's happening. Like absolutely nailed it. And the, you know, the A&R would be like this, you would email back going, this is nice. Um, we'll see. And then you'd sort of be like, okay, okay. Well, it's, um, oh, it's been two weeks and haven't heard it on the radio yet. Like, oh, it's actually uh, been three months and uh, oh, you've not got replied. And you suddenly, again, it was a little bit like what happened when it was 16. Like you had all this stuff that was really exciting and like, oh my God, this is it. And you know the A&R guy. And you suddenly realise how far away having a song, it's sounding like the band, sending it to the A&R guy and it actually getting cut. That distance is enormous. And it also taught me the most valuable lesson to not tell anyone whether a song was being cut until it was actually out. Because all anyone asked me for the next six months, like, oh, what happened to that JLS thing? You were right for JLS, right? And I was like, oh God, I was such a dork. This is the most embarrassing thing. Because I basically just had a song that sounded like them and had an A&R contact. So it taught me to not really say who I was writing for. Or talk about who I'm writing for but not say that anything was actually happening until it was out. And you hear horror stories. Like I had people who were working with really big acts and it was actually, you, you know, it was cut. I had one friend who was a dear writer friend of mine. He had a track on a on a record, really big American artist, and it was track 13. And the label decided they wanted 12 tracks and they just cut his track because it was number 13. And you're thinking, well, A, that's so depressing because like surely you'd go through and listen to what songs you... But it, it, it that was just how it was. And this was like two weeks before it came out. And you think, so he's actually got to way further <laughs> stage than I had just doing a demo and it all been recorded and cut by the, you know, so that, that was a very valuable lesson and sort of dealt me quite a big, big wedge of humble pie to sort of sit there and go, okay, be that's, a bit more. Yeah, that's a good lesson, isn't it? Because you think it's two weeks away. So surely now I can yeah. tell people, yeah. you know, but even then even you don't then, know. No. And until, for me, even like seeing pre-order stuff, I've heard stories where, you know, it's been on a pre-order and then it comes out and it's not there. And it's like, oh, don't worry, we're putting it on the deluxe. And then, and it's just this like human, I don't know if you've had it with acting, but if you tell someone when you're going for an audition and then all anyone ever asks you for the next three months, oh, how was that audition? And you're like, well... If I'd got it, I would have told you. You know, it's it's one of those things. Totally. And also people never understand if they're not in the industry that, that I've come across. A lot of people don't understand what that means. That, yeah. That if you didn't get it, you must have been pretty bad. You yeah. Know? It's like, yeah. It wasn't. Well, it might have been the case on some occasions. But most of the time it, it really is, you know, just to get in the room, you've mm. already whittled down. I mean your chances of even just getting in the room are so small and then you get in the room and you're thinking, okay, now it's just, am I tall enough? Am my eyes the right yeah. colour? Do I sound right? Yeah. And can I do the job? It's, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of parallels, uh, I think, with with your songs and and being an actor. I think about it with like pitching for sync, mm. you know, trying to get mm. your, your music in a film or a TV show or something. And there's a lot of the same stuff because, yeah, you have to be good and you have to get the attention of the right people. But then after that... So much stuff can happen and not yeah. happen. And even if you get a part, you know, if it's a, a if it's a pilot, do you get the part? Does the pilot actually get made? Does it get made into a TV show? Like mm-hmm. all this stuff. And you can have a song in a pilot and you yeah. think, oh, great, that's going to go on to the TV show. And it doesn't. And it doesn't. And then there's nothing in it. And 
you've then told people because you've start you're starting to feel confident you know I remember watching like behind the scenes or like extra stuff on uh, love actually and there are like two storylines that had to get cut because oh. the film was too long like two entire storylines oh. that they come back to that they just had to take, had to out. take out and so if you're maybe in one scene you can think I might not be in it I might get cut but if you're in a big film and there are several scenes there's a whole storyline you don't think that all of that is going to get taken away mm. but it might be you know yeah. you have no control until it's out so that's uh, definitely sobering yeah <laughs> I'm yes sure, it yeah. is and and it was both it was again it's sort of always kind of very happy sad it was like a really cool thing to know that there's there's this opportunity that you can work with people and you can create something and you know when I played it to friends and family they're like oh I can totally hear this they were like and I think that was also one of the songs that people went okay actually you're not just sort of you know standing on stage with a guitar it was like oh you're actually like properly grafting and doing different things and you know it's quite hooky and catchy but as pop songs kind of have to be and I think it's sort of maybe kind of some of my friends were like okay this you know could be something it was it was it was a good early lesson but so I, I did a lot of come back to your question about 10 minutes ago um I did lots of like dance top lines and things before because they were very easy to do people could send them to me I knew how to record my voice so I could send it back it all, it all worked quite well but it, it was then that I started to realize that pitching I mean, I probably did it for about two, two and a half to three years without representation, without a publisher, without a manager, without anything. And it is soul destroying. Like it is so depressing. And I have all of these songs that would be great Kelly Clarkson tracks or great this. And, you know, but it, it, pitching also goes out of date so quickly because what happens is a label will send out what's called like a, a who's looking list. And they'll say so-and-so is looking for a song. One of my favorite ones was uh, I think it was like Rihanna's looking for a song needs to sound like Coldplay, Adele, Ed Sheeran, um, you know, The Weeknd. And you're like, these are all, do you just basically want it to be a hit? Do you just want it to be number one? Like, is it that none yeah. of those like sound, sound anything like Rihanna and yeah. all sound and all the same. Yeah. But you, you kind of get them and you realise you're trying to fit a genre or fit an artist in a production style that by the time it gets to the artist will be six months out of date. And it also is that world is very much like who you know. If you know the A&R guy or the person who's, that's like an artist in repertoire, who's like working the artist's album or, you know, their main point of contact at the label. If you know them and they can go, I they're definitely, they need one more song or they're looking for this. You've got much more of a chance than like cold emailing going, hi, I've got this and I think this will work. But Again, it was very good to kind of, it meant I worked with lots of different producers and lots of different top liners or, or singers. And I, you know, met a really great group of kind of singing people. And actually that was where um, a co-writer, a friend of mine, Mary Erskine, um, who's in a band called Me For Queen, her and I were doing a lot of kind of co-writing together with a um, another producer called Chris Bangs. And we had all these, you know, songs that sounded like all the people that we, you know, that had the Who's Looking list. But they were really good songs and we were like, oh, this is like miserable that these are never going to get heard. And I was going to various publishing meetings or, you know, manager meetings. And they said, listen, we really can't take you seriously unless you have a cut. And a cut is basically a song released. So after like the fifth publishing meeting where you go in and of course it's another thing. It's like people ask you what you're doing today. It's like, oh, well, I've got, uh, you know, a meeting at Sony. <gasps> oh my God, you signed to Sony. It's like, no, I'm literally just probably going to go and meet 
their intern who's gonna just tell me that I've got no hope in hell um <laughs> but you know you sort of come back and it was after the fifth sort of meeting that I was just like screw this if people want a song released I'm just gonna release one of the pictures that I've done so I spoke to Mary and we kind of came up with this sort of like idea to have a songwriters collective and we also had a couple of artists who had like sung like demo vocaled it to make it sound like JLS or Demi Lovato or whatever we needed and they were saying listen I'm going to a label meeting and they need to hear like original songs of you know that I've sung on can I use your song and we were thinking like oh could this maybe be a way of getting songs out or getting things cut so we set up this collective to try and basically not have songs left on the shelf and we released them on iTunes and on Spotify and you were wonderfully a part of one but it it was just a way to be like, okay, they're out in the world. And then if people want to use them, listen to them, take them, they can. And it even with that not really getting to the heights that we really wanted it to, it enabled us to go, okay, well, this has been released. And even that just gave people a bit more interest. And it felt like you were doing something proactive. You were at least trying to move forward in an industry where you sometimes feel like you're pushing, you know, jelly up a hill with a spike. So having a focus to at least push something in a way that would then, you know, someone go, okay, actually, I think you should work with this person or I really like that hook. Could, you know, we maybe sample it or, you know, various different things that happened. And I'm trying to think what happened when when it was really when I got in. I think it was actually through, Mary was playing a gig with this guy called Al Lewis because Mary's an amazing cellist. She was like, I'll come down to the gig. And I went early because I think I'd finished my part-time job early. And I never normally catch the support acts, but I was there and this girl called Lottie Mullen was playing and she's very Americana country. And I just remember thinking like, gosh, she is super. Like, this is great. And I chatted to her afterwards. Got on very well. And I was like, listen, do you like, do you want to co-write? And she was actually one of the first people that I thought maybe I should try and work with artists as opposed to trying to pitch to somebody that I've never met or say, hey, take my song person who I don't know. Um, and actually one on one try and write together and and Lottie was obviously very country so she was one of the first people that I really started writing country stuff with I think that's a really amazing thing actually just just going back on what you said about just being proactive and creating your own stuff because that's what Liv and I have always kind of spoken about is that even just when you start creating your own things number one it exists for people yeah. to find it and and you know give some interest and also just for your own kind of sense sanity. Of, of sanity yeah you feel like I've got something to talk about and to be proud of and you know you can actually show the the graft that's gone yeah. into something so was that kind of that kickstart of I'm going to create my own stuff did that was that kind of the springboard to think I'm going to find artists who want to create their own stuff and go straight in with that. I think so. I think it's suddenly when demo vocalists who come to sing the songs are going, we really like these and we'd like to take that. You think, actually, why wouldn't I work with someone who's kind of here now? And I was very lucky early on to meet Sasha Scarbeck. And he's just one of the world's best songwriters. He's killer. And he's the nicest guy. He said, don't chase the people that have already released or who are already enormous because they have a whole team of people that have worked with them going up and he was saying for a songwriter you really want to 
basically, for want of a better expression, like hold on to the coattails of someone who's who's rising. And he wrote James Blunt's You're Beautiful, but he wrote that when James Blunt was no one. He was just this guy who played piano and Sasha was like, oh, I think this is great. And it was from that he could then launch his career. And that was pretty life-changing as a piece of advice because it wasn't, I suddenly stopped chasing Demi Lovato. Not that she knew that I have all these wonderful songs for her. Um, she will now. She will now. <laughs> She'll ask for you now. Demi, I've still got them in the um, it, it wasn't chasing faceless people. It wasn't, it, it was going to gigs and going, I really like that artist and I think there's something really special there. Meet them afterwards. Hi, I'm a songwriter. Do you want to co-write together? And, and realise that was where people were going and that's how you get in the circle of people going up. Um, so that, for, as a songwriter, that was crucial for me. And, and also realise that there was, you know, more than just sitting in a room and trying to guess what someone might want 5,000 miles away to be their next release you're actually sitting in a room with an artist who's going I feel really sad about this or this has really like moved me or I want to take this stance on this song and you can interact and it made it so much more enjoyable a process I think that's a bit of a lesson for a lot of different professions probably because I think a lot of people look to someone that they want to be like or work with and it's so tempting to try and go straight to them yeah. instead of thinking actually there's probably a another one you, you know so and so like that happening right now you know there's someone doing that but they just haven't got that big name mm. and it's so much easier to reach them mm-hmm. and you have more to offer them because mm-hmm. as you said like they don't already have a massive team yeah and I think that's also kind of sometimes is right in front of you isn't it all the people that you need whether it's artists or other writers or whatever it might be in your profession like they're actually around you right now yeah. if you just instead of trying to chase the top who even if they loved your stuff, they don't really have time time yeah. to, to look at it, you know? It's, it's, we're so on the same page. <laughs> you all agree, this yeah. is great. <laughs> yeah, but that is kind of what is reiterating just this series, talking to everyone, is, is, is about who you know and what everyone's doing at the moment, not to kind of use people and abuse people, but to actually kind of collaborate with yeah. the people that are doing things right now because, you know, together, someone at somewhere is going to make the shift into that next phase and take the, their, their circle of network and, you know, up mm-hmm. to the next level. I, I always think about um, Mitchell and Webb and Olivia Coleman doing, like, theatre and education and all the things that we do now thinking, oh, I'm just doing a theatre and education in some school hall somewhere doing yeah. Shakespeare. That's how they started and, you know, they all went up together they all knew each other so each yeah each new generation of of music makers or theater makers are kind of taking it to the next level and i'm sure in technology and and you know product development or whatever like there's i think it's it's for you're right it's there's lots of different pockets of it and it's it just also means that when you create really good relationships you then create much better output because when you care about someone or you like them or there's like they're working really hard and you feel really excited about their project you put more time care and attention in and so therefore the songs or the creations are better rather than going I've got five minutes I need to knock this out Does yeah that yeah and I'm, I'm trying to guess what you need like you said like I'm mm. trying to you know because I, I feel that because you know I work as an artist but also sometimes as a writer for mm. other people and I think that for me personally my best work is when I work with somebody where I don't feel the pressure to create something, you know, if they've already had success and I'm trying to 
to try and guess at what they need next and to, to kind of the pressure to, to do the right thing is there. Whereas if you work with someone who's kind of brand new and you kind of sit there and go, right, so what's going on in your life? You yeah, know, exactly. <laughs> then you just take that pressure away and the songs are usually better because you're much more present, you know, in, in the moment. It's not a guessing game. What, one compliment that I received, which is like always stuck with me, was I had an artist. I said, so what do you want to write about today? And they just looked at me as if I'd said something so wise and profound, um, which it really wasn't. But they said, that's so interesting you've said that because all anybody's asked me is what I need. And it's like they're trying to get a cut on my records. Like, what do you need? What haven't you got? Have you got a ballad? Have you got a fast up tempo? What, <laughs> what do you need a single? Whereas I was just taking the approach just out of honesty other than anything, just going, what do you want to write about? So, like, what, what are we here to kind of create? Not how can I wangle my way onto your record? And it's like, that was something again that was, okay, that's something I must always maintain and keep that in my in mind. I think something you said earlier about chasing, you kind of both said it in different ways, but like chasing something that is already there. A book that was really important to me and actually I reread at the beginning of this year was The Alchemist, mm-hmm. um, Paolo Coelho, because you know, he travels through all these distance and the pyramids are going to be the place that he finds his treasure. And spoiler alert, um, he finds it at home in the fields with his sheep. And actually it was there all along, but he had to go miles and miles and search and suffer and hardship to come back and go, oh, it's here all along. And I think that was what the pitching kind of route did. It brought me back to go, actually, trying to chase what's already out there you want to uncover something, you want to discover rather than just reiterate. Yeah, absolutely. And and also the thing is, there's no shame or, you know, nothing wrong with trying to pitch. No. You know, you can just, you can keep doing that. But the difference is probably now, if you do that, you're not hanging all your hopes on somebody getting back to you going, this is our next hit. Exactly. You're just, you know, you're putting stuff out there while you're also yeah. doing your own stuff with artists. And yeah. and I think, I, and, and for some people, pitching like some songwriters I know who I work with pitching is their lifeblood and it really works for them and they're in with all those people and they it's it's you know a totally different way of being a songwriter and it is amazing it's just not something for me that I found where I really wanted to to be because it was it was all just quite stressful (laughs) I just found it quite um but it, it is possible and it is there to do but I think knowing that there are other options and it's like, you know, you're kind of scrabbling through the dark, looking for a four leaf clover, ignoring the fact that there are loads of roses and going, oh, well, I, yeah, maybe I should do that. Then keep trying to find something that, you know, isn't there. And then if you come back to it or whatever. With them, um, like as as you're kind of getting to a point in your career now where, you you know, you're building up a really good repertoire of working with. I mean, I'm in a minute, I want to hear how you guys actually met because I don't think I know that story. Oh, yeah. Um, but are you are you finding challenges now at this point of kind of getting to a point where you're confident in your writing and you're you know you're you know a lot of good people and you're getting to work with what kind of challenges are you facing at the moment if there are any I, oh no gosh there are plenty <laughs> it's just so easy it's for just me. which <laughs> challenge do I pick first? um I think I think there is with success comes pressure and with uh, success comes expectation and I think those are the things that you try and balance and it's this I feel quite torn sometimes because I'm like I really want to be able to have time to like develop 
artists and up and coming writers who who have nothing and who were like me sort of seven years ago. But I'm also thinking I actually still need to really keep up with emerging artists or signed people or that, you know, have stuff going on. So that that's one of the biggest challenges for me is to try and split my time to go. I really need to believe in you and need you, you know, to kind of give you time to to progress. But I also need to kind of pay the bills and get in with the people that are cutting records and are signed and are, you know, putting things out. And that that's that's a struggle for me at the minute. Um, and I've I signed just at uh, beginning of last year with my managers and they've been incredible because they very much feel the way I feel and they think you, you just don't know who's going to be the next so-and-so. So never kind of turn anyone away, but sort of you need to learn how to balance your time with like artists who are more further along in their career coming on and you know there's sort of nothing is ever guaranteed, but there's more of a thing of going, they'll probably cut your single, it'll probably get on radio, it'll probably go on the record. So you can see an income stream as opposed to someone going... I've done three gigs. But then if you really believe in that, you want to try and, you know, it'll probably take two years to get to where it is. You know, I was working with Ward Thomas, I think four years before the Cartwheels record came out. I've been working with a girl called Hannah Grace for, you know, two and a half years, I think, before A River and, and, you know, her Praise You cover came out. Um, We were working together just before you got signed, I think, or you were in the process. Yeah, just before I got signed. It was just before. And they've all been amazing things. I've been working with this guy called Belmont five years before he just signed a, a mega deal like last year and went on like a European tour. And so you have those people and you don't know who could be the next Liv Austin, Ward Thomas, Belmont, Hannah Grace. But you also need to go if someone comes in now. Like if you came to me now and were like, I've got this record, I've had this. I'd want to, I'd need to make time for you as much as the kind of new person. Um, so that that's that's quite a big challenge. I think it's also trying to stay, to keep up. Like that's quite overwhelming sometimes when you see some people's output on Instagram. <laughs> social media came up but I think we kept off it for quite a while which I'm pleased about yeah um, it's, it's an important but it, part it, of it, it is yeah. and, and yeah. you're sort of watching all these people going oh my god I thought I had a killer week last week I thought that was amazing and then like they've done you know you did five sessions and they've done 12 and you're like oh <laughs> crap I've you know that that's that's a challenge that's something to try and kind of not fall into that trap of like a comparison but it, it is really difficult yeah, I think I think those are some some quite big challenges that that are kind of happening now. Yeah. So when you talk about um, expectations and and that stuff, because with Ward Thomas, you're kind of famously the Ward Thomas writer. I mean, obviously they write their own stuff with different yeah, people, and and, yeah. and you uh, are one of their favorites. You know, I go to, which is great because you're a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. So their album Cartwheels was their second album went to number one like that's that's incredible isn't it it's just a fantastic achievement and you had so bonkers five songs on the album yeah so that's i mean so i'm i'm kind of guessing that's the first time an album that you had five songs Uh, (laughs) went to number one so how was that how was that for you because that's just incredible it was bonkers like it was absolutely amazing and i i think the thing was is we had no expectation everyone was sort of like top 40 would be amazing like top 20 would be like out of this world there wasn't even like well it's it's gonna get to number one sort of everyone was sort of like top 20 and then on the friday so it was released on the 9th i think i think it was 9th of september or was it the second oh crumbs maybe it was the second basically the week before 
it announced it went straight to number one on all platforms and you're like okay that's fine it's probably just because it's new and everyone's like downloading today and then I turned into a bit of a crazy person because like every hour I check like Apple Music Spotify or I don't think I don't think I was even checking Spotify at that point but just like Apple Music um album charts like all of these newfangled downloading and purchasing systems I'd go to HMV and be like how many records have got me you know like weird weird slightly odd things just because I couldn't and you know Saturday it was still number one Sunday it was still number one Monday and you get to the point where you're like could this actually happen is this even like worth thinking about and it got to midweek and I remember the girls being like it's like it's still here it's still number one at midweek and we messaged so another one of the girls we write with Rebecca Powell was in LA and Catherine and Lizzie were like Becca you know it's still number one at midweek like maybe you should fly over. We don't know if it's going to be number one till Friday, but like people feel like this is a pretty positive sign. And Rebecca was like, oh my God, but like if it doesn't, that's like the most horrendous trip home. And we were like, I know, but let's not think about that yet. And so we were kind of like debating this and I was like, I can't believe we're even thinking of flying her over because like, is this actually going to happen? And I've never had any, you know, animosity towards any other artist but anybody who was in the charts at the same time of us I was like so angry like I can't remember Go I think away. It was like, yeah it was like wretch 32 and like Jamie T and I was like please 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 don't like overtake us and then I think midweek um there was a documentary about the carpenters and on BBC and suddenly the carpenters were like up on our tail um so all I'd been worried about was like Jamie T and, and Wretch 32 and suddenly like carpenters were like climbing up the charts because their best of was selling and I it, it turned yeah I sort of became slightly weird altered like dark shadow of myself being like no we've got this far I remember talking to my husband Hugo and he was like whatever happens like you've had number one at midweek I was like no it's not the same it's not the bloody same don't try and like talk me into this um and then on the Friday morning you know Rebecca was like sod it I'm gonna come and she flew over and so went to meet them all on Sunday uh, Friday morning and got down to the house and then yeah the manager was like we'll just wait till official album charts but then the worst thing which I found out is that people who are in the top three I think it's top three or maybe it's top five I can't quite remember but they have to go and have their picture taken with the number one trophy just in case so like all these people have gone along so top thing go along just in case because you don't know but at midweeks that's where your point's at so Poor Catherine and Lizzie had like already had this moment of going, oh my gosh, could this, like, is this going to be the thing? And you just don't know. Um, so then when it was announced, it was, it was just so surreal. It was so surreal. We were all there being like, what? Is this how, is it? And the, the thing that was really nice about that record in particular and writing it with Catherine and Lizzie and, and Rebecca was, they were all, it was just us. We weren't trying to do anything. We were just trying to write songs and connect with people and be, you know, voices that we maybe didn't have when we were younger or kind of talking about things at the time. We just wanted to make good stuff with good people. And a lot of the times, you know, we'd write them in their living room or my living room or it wasn't in like super snazzy studios. And like, it's so fun to write in super snazzy studios. But I think what was very cool was there wasn't any of that around. It was just, it was sort of homegrown, which made it, I think, super special. But 
it it was t- it was totally surreal. Something kind of nice about it as well that it's a kind of female collaboration. I was going to ask a lot of the people that you work with are female artists. I know you you do work with male artists yeah. as well, but is that some, is that like a kind of conscious choice or just that it's easier to connect as a female to what females want to write about or how does it work? Um, I, it's definitely not a conscious choice. I've actually had quite a lot of. I'm sort of the first female songwriter that a lot of people have written with. Um, so people have gone to people like, oh my God, I've never worked with a woman before. And they're like, are we on Mars? Sorry. <laughs> That's <laughs> pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, and I've actually had a lot of guys say it's so nice to write with a girl because I don't have to panic about being emotional or like if I'm saying something twee or, you know, he doesn't have to worry about his like reputation or anything. You could just be quite honest. It's, it's but yeah, it, it's not a conscious decision, but it's, I think it's it's becoming more important for, for like female songwriters and producers to not just be an exception, but to be start of, be part of the rule. And it's still quite shocking sometimes people, and even I, I just did it then unconsciously, but people introduce me and they're like, this is our female songwriter and producer. And you're like, <laughs> uh, can't I just be a songwriter producer? But it's, st- it's still strange for people to kind of have that. There's, there's, there's very few... I think I think there are definitely more emerging, and I still get excited when I see someone I'm, and I'm looking at the credits. I'm like, oh yes, yes, a girl produced that. That's wicked. Um, I think just because it's it's been so male dominated for so long, and again, there's lots of female artists because I think it was going back to that idea that you know, girls at school, you're you're taught you're the the singer. So there's a lot more female artists and the guys are maybe taught that they're the producers and, you know, there needs to be kind of a swap around. But it, it I have had some girls come along and go, oh, it's so nice not to have someone mansplaining and like have a guy say, oh, I think I think someone would say it like this. It's like, well, actually, I'm the girl and I'm singing it and I would may say that, yeah. you know, it's 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 a different discipline. But I've I've worked with some really great male producers who are totally down with it just being another human in the room and you're just sort of like creating. And sometimes having those different viewpoints is really important because it, it creates a dialogue and go, oh, well, actually, I don't see it like that. I see it like this. And why would you see that? And, you know, it, it creates and you can sort of sometimes get something special that way because you're you're debating and you're talking around a point. But yeah, I, I hope I, I some people have come to me going, I really want to work with more females um, and more female writer producers because they can sort of create you know they they want to work with people who create something new but i i hope it wouldn't just be people wouldn't come to me just because i'm a female so i mean not that you then found each other because you're both female but (laughs) i want to find out how how did you both meet so we met i think at c2c yes was it it was brendan brendan so our mutual friend brendan who is just he knows everyone Uh, he's everyone loves him he's just an amazing human being but like professional networker Yes, like, yeah. He's, he's insane. He's wonderful just, at it. So great. And he is great at connecting people, which is something we talk about a lot. We love connecting other people yeah. to each other. I think that's just so fun. And uh, so he introduced us to each other. And he said to me, like, you have to write with Jess. You have to write with Jess because it's going to be great. You know? <laughs> no pressure. Thanks yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we just met at C2C. For, for those who don't know, that's a, a big festival, country music festival at the O2 March every year. And uh, I think it was 2015, probably, yeah. uh, that we met. And uh, I just really instantly liked you. I yeah. just really liked your vibe. And uh, I just thought, yeah, this girl. And at this at this time, I wasn't really writing that much with other people because I'd always just written on my own. Mm. And the concept of co-writing was just really 
terrifying to me. And I had written with a few people before I got in with you, but it hadn't been great every time. A couple of them had been really fun and a few of them had been what I dreaded that co-writing would be. So for me, I don't know if like people listening to this, they're like, oh, you're just writing with other people. Like, you know, you're talking about guys feeling like it's hard to be emotional and that mm. sort of stuff. To me, that was kind of the thing. Like, I'm happy to put my feelings and thoughts into a song because when it's a finished product, it's completely different. It's just a song. But to sit in front of somebody and go, this happened to me and I'm going through it right now. Can we write about that? To me, that was just terrifying. Mm. But for some reason, going in with you, because our first ever co-write was the next time yeah and I remember I just sat down with you in your studio and you were like so what's going on with you and I literally just went so this is happening and this is awful <laughs> just kind of like I was at the therapist's you yeah, know I had a little notebook and I was just like writing down literally just these, writing like, what I was saying words or things that were just coming out and then you just wonderfully turned the stuff that I just said into like well we can put this here we can put that there and I was like this is and that's the wonderful thing that when I now sing the next time people go this is me this is my life even though it's a completely different situation that Mm. they're going through but they're like how did you do that yeah it's because we just talked about what was actually going on I Mm. think and it's just very very honest so and I think honesty is what connects people like I I sometimes listen to um kind of very big like pop tracks and you know you can understand why some of it's really successful and there's like it's really hooky or the production's really cool and I think with with you like definitely next time train of thought like that that was just there was just this just honesty of it and I think that connects with people same with like the cartwheels record we were just honest and put that down and I think when you put your vulnerability and your detail into something you'd be so surprised how many other people feel exactly the same way yeah like if absolutely. you think of like julia michael's issues i mean everybody has issues like, but she's she's put yeah. it and she's she's kind of owned it and been like that's my vulnerability yeah and everyone's gone oh i feel like that yeah it's exactly. like amy start when i was 14 just hearing that being like oh yeah and then you you don't know what was going on when it was written yeah. but you know what's going on for you when you mm. hear it and it describes your day mm. it's, it's like um anytime i'm going through anything Liv will just send me a song <laughs> like i can't remember yeah. who, who was it you sent me um check this song out i got this and song like, for you <laughs> how, that song is exactly what i'm going through right this minute mm. and it is like, it's really interesting to hear actually how it's it reminds you how powerful music is and and yeah. lyrics and they say someone oh, i'm never gonna know who it was but someone says something when you're happy you listen to the the melody and you you get picked up and catch you with that when you're sad you listen to the lyrics mm. and you listen to what it's saying and it's kind of true like when i'm really sad i'm, I'm listening to really sad songs about like, especially country music i think does that amazingly well where it's really vulnerable and, and open and honest i uh just i'm always listening to it thinking Yes, I totally understand. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas when I'm happy, I'm just humming the tune the whole time. Like, oh, that's nice to- yeah, and they, they're both legit, you know, they yeah. both serve a purpose. And uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of fantastic country music that does that in both the happy and the sad sort of sides of it. You kind of go like, oh yeah, this is just life because they're not putting a glittery thing all over it. It's just like, this is life, you know, and um you introduced me to Little Big Town before they were big, which yeah, is kind I'm of funny. I'm actually going to shout out to my dad on that one. Yeah, via uh, your dad. Yeah, yeah, we got him interested in Job Mayor and he gave yeah. us Little Big Town. Yeah. Exactly. It's a good, it's a good swapsies. I mm-hmm. think so, yeah. yeah. What kind of, what's kind of next for you? Do you have to kind of just think, this is what I do now and it just it's just going to flow or do you have kind of goals that you want to hit? 
I definitely have goals. I think last year I had goals that I made too unachievable. And I think my New Year's resolution is to make things more achievable so that you don't have such a crash after such a high. I think it's trying to trying to keep a bit more balanced in that sense. Um, With anything in creative, I find there's no real linear step. There's no kind of next rung of the ladder. It's kind of like it takes in an amazing way and also a challenging way. It takes twists and turns that you don't expect. So, oh, yeah. 100%. So are you kind of just rolling with that and just seeing what happens? Or yeah. is, are you thinking, I want to get to this point at some, at some point? I think I think there's always a like aim like dream big and aim high definitely but I think maybe not on the time constraints that I had set previously it was like there's like a a sort of quiet confidence to go I'm going to get here and I will achieve this but just not by next week (laughs) you know it's sort of like get the Grammy but not next week give Um, yourself a chance just yeah (laughs) a little bit of time a little bit of time I think the idea of being next is just to kind of keep keep expanding and keep writing and keep being creative and and I guess kind of working with lots of different genres that I can you know help find a sound for I think that's something I'm really interested in is exploring kind of not creating productions where someone's like oh could you make it sound like this but where I can sort of create a vibe I think that would be that would be really exciting keep on working with with really great artists and and kind of plugging away um my one of my main dreams is to have a different style of genre on a, a different radio station all at one time that's like a really weird kind of thing that that's like you, nice you flick one. the channel and like any other like every station has a song but it's in like a different thing i think that would be something for me that would be like really cool but again it's not going to happen next week it's like it's got to take time and i think that's what you realize i think maybe for some people they think overnight success happens, but it, it's it's really not. It's really really long, and it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderfully long night. But it can sometimes seem like it's never going to end. But I think the moment it ends, is, is when you you know you're done, you're out, you've you've signed out, and you're thinking, no, actually, I still want to kind of keep doing this and keep going on the ups and downs, rather than be like, oh, I've achieved it because it's like, well, then what? Then you you know there there is nowhere else to go. So I think continually making goals is is a good thing but making them sort of so you can feel empowered and positive about it like I was saying to Liv today one of my new resolutions is like to be on time and that is something that you I can totally control and a bar like a train breakdown or whatever and it's those little things and you're like yeah cool feel really pumped about that so it's like right okay I really want to be able to produce a sort of sound and kind of create backing tracks or like you know get more into kind of like a film music sort of thing take six months to try and do that that's like achievable I think um I've spoken with people uh, about that a lot lately about the difference between making having dreams mm. things that you would love to to have happen and and goals for yourself that you can make happen because they're two very different things. I think things. they are exactly. And they both are great to have, but certain things I I've definitely had a, a habit of doing this in the past setting goals in air quotes that uh actually are up to other people to give to me to to an extent and then when it doesn't happen especially within a certain time frame mm. then 
I've let myself down. Yeah. You know, and that's that's ridiculous because I couldn't give myself that in the first place. I can, you know, set a goal of how many songs I want to write or something yeah. like that. And then by doing that, you probably increase your chances of something happening. Something. With exactly. exactly. But you can kind of so... Uh, for instance, for me, all of my New Year's resolutions, that they, they have nothing to do with other people's power of what yeah. they can give to me. Um, but they are about, you know, being more productive in the things that I want to do and focus and that kind of stuff. Mm. But it's kind of great to, to have those things that you look forward to, like, I'd love to win a Grammy. I'd love to be yeah. involved in an album that wins a Grammy or something like that. Mm. But there's only so much you can do yeah. <laughs> to, to, to make that happen, you know. And you, yeah nailed it i'm just curious about also your uh production side of things mm. because as i i kind of partly love and hate talking about this but as as weirdly rare as it is to be a female songwriter which is just kind of strange to me that that's so rare it's also quite rare to be a female producer still i mean it's changing absolutely is changing but f for you like I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that you you produce as well and mm. Um, is that something that you're wanting to do more of? Do you have time for it as, you know, alongside all the writing yeah, you do? I'd, I'd definitely love to do more of it. And I'd love a, a lot of the songs that I have produced that have been released. Like last year was was an amazing year. I worked with this really amazing artist called Anya Cahill and, and produced her first two singles, which were great. And we're on like Radio 1 and Radio X, which was like, you know, new channels, which was, which was really cool. But they were songs I co-written. And I think it would be really interesting to have a song that I hadn't co-written that would be something that I could sort of take it, add, add my creativity in a new way rather than going, I knew how, like when I'm, I sort of, like when I play songs, I'm like, okay, I know where the production could go if I'm co-writing. Whereas to have someone bring me something like a skeleton and be like, what do you reckon? Like, I think that would yeah. be, that would be really cool. But I, I, I think, and that's also about me continually working on that. And like with what you were saying earlier, between your goals and your dreams I think you make your own luck and the way you make your own luck is by working hard at something so if I keep producing something and again it will be like five productions will be terrible but the sixth one might be great and I won't know until I keep trying and you know just kind of throwing paint in the wall and see what looks great or looks like a total mess. Have you ever kind of got to a point in in anything you've done it might have been the when you were 15 16 having that producer kind of mm. be like no has there ever been a point where you've just thought I don't know if I want to do this this is too much pressure or it's too hard or I find fight you know finding it struggling to keep creative or whatever it mm. might be was there any kind of moment that you can think of that you just kind of hit a wall and thought what am I doing this for yeah I just I think it happens every three months you sort of <laughs> <laughs> that wall is ever so familiar one thing that helped kind of not change my perspective, but help me try and readdress how I think about those moments. I was just out of music school, maybe like two years in and again, like the pitching world and went to a friend's party. And, you know, it was like, they were all what we inadvertently call proper jobs. Um, <laughs> you know, bankers, lawyers, traders, you know, all, all sort of very nine to five, very, very different from what I do. And was talking to one person like it was a group of people and they said oh what do you do I said oh I'm a songwriter and I was trying to work on this idea of actually saying it 
rather than sort I of be. <laughs> I want to be exactly sort of trying to own it mm. I love when people call me an aspiring actor <laughs> I'm like um <laughs> I don't aspire to do it I definitely am doing it but it's, it's even it's even a transition to just be able to say it, like I am a songwriter you know and sort of not have your inner critic go yeah really you sure about that just kind of owning it and quick as a flash he just said what's your plan b he he did not know anyone I'd written for or, you know, I could have been Adele songwriter or, you know, whatever. And I just went completely rabbit in headlights and was just like, oh, my God, that's just like the whole everything came crashing down around me. And then there was this marvelous person there who just kind of forever grateful to them. They just turned to him and said, sorry, what do you do? He said, oh, I'm a financial trader. They're like, well, oh, Mark is a bit dodgy at the moment. What's your plan B? <laughs> so and it was just like, mic drop, leave the circle. And I just <laughs> so literally good. could have like given them all the gold in the world because it was no one is like this whole idea that like a banker or a doctor or a trader is safe uh, compared to a songwriter is just bananas yet we all believe it we all go oh yeah well if you're creative you're an actor oh you know it's tough it's like well you know if you're a doctor that's tough if you're an A&E that's like life is tough and jobs are tough but there is no security to any of it so I, I kind of really struck me and I talked to my mum on the way home and I sort of said what happened she goes oh are you all right I was like yeah but from now on like no one is allowed to say plan b and she was like what do you mean and I was like well because that's why plan b's happen because you focus so much on your plan b that that's what you then do because when you focus your time on something it happens and so it was like plan a just this is what I'm gonna do and I'm just gonna find a way to keep being it and it really helped kind of change my perspective. And when I when I have those moments, I kind of I kind of try and really draw myself out of it. I think one of the moments that you're when you feel so vulnerable and someone nicks you in a way, whether it's like a passing comment or just a totally unintentional jibe or something, that's when and you know, it just when you're feeling low and someone's like, Oh, I'm sure you'll make it one day. And you're sort of like what? I'm making it now. What do you mean? What, when's Monday? You know, yeah. it, it it can feel really overwhelming. But I think that's also to do with, with your state of mind. Because if they'd said that on a really good day, you'd be like, yeah, probably will. And I think no one gives creatives the the kind of space or capacity to allow the ups and downs and to allow... I think sometimes from my moments of real darkness comes a lot of really good creativity because I'm at a point where I'm so low, the only way is up. So I'm the most honest. It's a really interesting point to, to think about that when people say, oh, acting or songwriting or being a musician or whatever it is, is a hard life or something because you're, you're thinking of, you know, the black and white version of I want to make it and it's hard. You don't think of all the things that happen constantly if I tell someone I'm an actor. What, what have you been in? What have I seen you in? Every advert you watch people would not realize they are actors on a day-to-day basis wanting to do more than advertise mcdonald's burgers probably mm. you know but even that's actually a good gig so yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, that, yeah. But, but yeah and i mean it happens to me even on a good day you know mm. saying about when it's a good or a bad day i mean really recently someone just said oh, what do you do and I, we were just making conversation mm. and i said uh, i was an actor and i was actually i was uh, being an assistant director on a on a show and i just 
I, I, I felt so pressured because uh, she said, oh, "And uh, what have you what have you done most recently?" Like it was it was like kind of like I an was interview like, almost. Uh, and now I have to prove that I'm kind most of recently. I'm okay to be the assistant, you know, to this director on this production. And I just felt like I had to then prove myself. And I was thinking, God, even now, I, yeah. it's so easy for to kind of pin your worth on other people's opinion of mm. what you're doing. And I think that's just something to take note of that it's gonna happen forever. You know. Even the biggest actors, you know, do not work 365 days no. a year. So it's just, it's kind of... And they were also those people once, you know, they, they were the yeah. people of like, oh, what yep. do you do? Oh, well, I'm in this, you know, this new production of something. It's called James Bond. Oh, cool. Yeah, good yeah. luck with that. <laughs> it's also to say, as, actually, as well, that it's it's not a bad thing to ask someone what they're doing. No. I think it's, you know, it, it is what they're doing, but there's there's definitely other ways to ask things. I think you know, it's, it's how funny. How did you get into it? Like, yeah. Anything. And I... I I mean, still, sometimes not that, you know, a number one allows me the thing to sort of say, oh, well, I've now made it. Because, again, I think when you make it, your time is up. But people still like, oh, you're a songwriter, anything I would know? And I'm like, oh, you know, Ward Thomas? And they're like, mm, no. And you're like, oh. Uh, and then you suddenly panic and you're like, no, it, it's just, it's like, oh. And so now I always answer, like, it totally depends what radio station you listen to, what kind of music you're in. Um, because you probably, you know, there's so many songs that you, you know, you might not have heard. And instantly they're like, oh, well, I like this kind of radio station. And you can instantly tell if they're going to know who you are. Mm. Yes. And you can kind yeah, of just like exactly. suss it out and like prepare yourself. But when I'm speaking to people and, you know, if it's an actor or if it's as a singer or someone says like, oh, I'm this. And I say, oh, what's what's the thing you've loved doing most recently? And that that's how I feel it would I'd love someone to ask me like what's the project you're most excited about or like what have you loved working on recently rather than and that way I can then know if I would have seen them in something and not embarrass myself and realize that I was actually talking to you know Julia Roberts uh, <laughs> the, the question I always go well what have you seen recently like, yeah. Ask, yeah exactly that's like the radio you go to Austria and see a production in a random town because <laughs> exactly. you will might know have me, seen me. <laughs> have, you, uh, have you seen the crown yeah, I'm not in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's you know like, Adele, I don't write for her. Yeah, no, I don't write for her. There's some other people, so. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that, though, that you've, you know, when you talk about sort of the lowest points, they kind of, it feels like they've kicked you into gear yeah. to just be like, well, this is just motivating me even even more. Yeah. And we, obviously, we've spoken about the the number one and, you know, how that was a really big moment. Do you feel like that was your defining moment of going this is what I'm going to be doing the kind of the reassurance or did you have another moment where you're like hell yeah you know this is this is definitely working for me or was it earlier than that the number one was really like a, I, I felt as though I kind of had a bit of currency to be like okay I think I belong but it's also surprising at how how quickly it can go out of date and like a lot of my friends are like but you, you've had a number one like why why aren't you a number one every week and you're like oh god <laughs> <laughs> pull me another gin and tonic and let's talk about something else <laughs> so it, it was kind of a double-edged sword it was this amazing thing of being like cool I've arrived and then also there being lots of other people who've had number ones and it's like you still have to keep working you still have to graft there was a very oh crumbs I've forgotten the name of the songwriter now there was a super songwriter, I was listening to it on a podcast, and they said, I'm only as good as my last song. So if you've only heard what I've written recently in the last writing session, that's how good I am. And I think that's a really 
important thing to go from. And actually, it's not what, what are you most famous for? It's like, what have you done recently? Like, what's your last song? The moment I sort of arrived in myself was when I started kind of really making an income from music. And then it obviously dropped and then it came back up and then it goes down. It's like never certain, which is why you have to kind of keep creative and have, you know, kind of fingers in different pies going, okay, I've got to do this for a bit and I've got to, you know, roll over that and I'll take this project or whatever to, to kind of pay the bills. But I had a song in the Inbetweeners movie, not even a really big moment, but it was on in the background and it was really starting to realize that when, when the PRS came in, it was like, oh my God that's amazing and I can now properly buy a microphone like that's really cool and that moment was was special and but I think every day I'm still kind of going have I arrived maybe maybe I'll just keep going and see what happens along the way because otherwise again it's quite a lot of pressure I've seen a lot of people who have become quite arrogant thinking like I shouldn't work with people who aren't signed because I, that's beneath me and and I think that's a that's somewhere I never ever want to go. And I'd always made a promise to myself to to kind of not ignore the people like me when I was starting out. You know, I had one girl email me from my website being like, "Hi, I've like looked up all your stuff. I think what you've done is everything I want to do." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so cool!" And she's like, "You know, I know you're probably super busy." And I was like, "I could definitely have a chat and you know have a chat on the phone and kind of can pass off pass over any advice." And I think that's. I still want to keep doing that in, in, in 10 years time. And yeah, hopefully it'll be a little le- less hit and miss with PRS. <laughs> <laughs> um, it could be sort of a steady Just a steady, income. yeah. That just, would be... just, just a little bit more, like not kind of like, oh my God, Christmas has come in April. And yeah. <laughs> or like, oh, you know, by October, you're like, oh, I definitely thought something else was going to. I was expecting a bit more, but (laughs) you know, but I mean, that's, that's the discussion about how creativity and musicians and songwriters and producers are kind of valued in the industry, which is like a whole separate sort of thing. But I think it, I think it definitely is a mindset that you want to try and train yourself. It's not to sort of compare to how many hours a day you work because you could spend four hours a day writing the, like a song that will you know change your life or you could work from nine to five on something and it not make a difference and I I think it's it's trying to manage your inner demons and like inner critics who are going oh well you've got a day off today like maybe you should be doing work like other people are doing work are you doing work are you succeeding and you know you can kind of let those voices get quite loud and yeah I think I've veered off your question sorry no well this is all great I, I was just about to say like to kind of round up but actually I think the whole chat's been so inspiring so if I was wanting to be a songwriter I would just listen to the whole thing but if you were kind of talking directly to anyone listening that was like I really want to do that mm-hmm. is there like a kind of nugget of wisdom that you'd be like anything you could think of that would just kind of inspire them to just keep going be kind I think to yourself and to other people but be as good as you can be which sounds very simple but listen to the songs like whenever I'm feeling uninspired or like worried my go-to is someone like Sarah Bareilles I just think she is amazing and I I pick apart her songs I listen to where she goes with her melodies why is she going there what's her lyric saying why is that lyric cool why do I really like it sort of analyze it and then go how can I learn from that and improve upon that and put my own spin on that for someone else? So I, I think never thinking that you're as good as you can be, because I think there's always room to kind of be better, not in the sense of like work really hard, like always kind of 
give yourself a pat on the back, but just for your own personal self-growth, like keep being better, keep being the best um, that you can be, but not compare yourself. So it's like, if you play bass guitar, just be the best that you can at that. And when you've really nailed that, maybe move on to piano. Also, you know, that that kind of sounds like patronizing, it's not meant to. But I think it's just, it's just being kind, being open and being honest. And there was something that also really struck me when I was starting out. What am I saying? Why, why is my interpretation of something important? What have I got to say compared to somebody else? So there are lots of talented people in the world, but it's because I've sort of hung on long enough. I, I really want it. And I think Jamie Hartman said it, actually. He's another really wicked songwriter. He, a, An interviewer asked him, he said, when did you know that you knew you were going to do this and he said when I realized I couldn't do anything else and if you want to do anything else like if you think oh well I, I probably could be a lawyer or a concert pianist or like a school teacher if you think you could do that then go and do that because you'll always be disappointed because you could do something else whereas when you're like I, I literally can't do anything else I, I, I've songwriting is the only thing that I can do and reading that really affirmed something in me going but this is this is the only thing that I can do and actually it was after that that things started to kind of open up and doors opened and you know it was almost as if someone was like waiting for me to go oh yeah this is the only thing I can do and then things started to kind of happen I love that this has been very very inspiring I, as I say each time I've learned so much <laughs> it's so nice to get to chat thank to you, you so much for having me they were great questions thank you if, if people want to find you online we didn't really talk about social media stuff but <gasps> until this point but if they want to find you and find out more about you where can they find you um I've got a website which is www.jessicasharman.com or my kind of main social thing is Instagram. So they can find me on that. It's just Jessica Sharman. Brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to Thank us. You. Thank you. This, uh, yeah, I'm going to listen back to this and be like, I'm going to take notes. Yeah. <laughs> Put little like inspiring quotes up. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much, you. Jess. Thank you, guys. Next week, we talk to actor, dancer and choreographer Peter Groom, who's had amazing success with his one-man show. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you're up to date with the next episode. Did you work with this person and did you like them? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's like, who was a shit? Oh. <laughs>